Welcome to Radical Awakening. I'm Dr. Q. I'm Michelle Bunting, also known as the Consciousness Cultivator. And I'm Zenobia. Today we'll be talking about who am I without titles? Hmm. Who are we? Especially without a title. <laughs> yeah, right? It's hard to even think about myself without a title. I'm so many things. A mom, a therapist, a wife, ex-wife, you know, friend, sister, daughter. Who am I without a title? What does that even mean? I relate to you very much, Zenobia. Because the first thing that comes to my mind is mom. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, that's like my most prized role. Yes. Yeah. But I like to think of myself as a woman of color. Me too. Yeah. I think that's pretty important to me. And um, I think a spiritual woman of color. Mm. Yeah. But I still don't think that really answers the question. Because although that's not titles, that's still labels. They are. Very much. And I don't think people know the difference between a label and, you know, who or what you really are. You know, it's such a good question because in in professional America, um, when you go to networking events, everybody wants to know uh, what your title is or what do you do, as if that's going to give some sort of window into understanding who you are. And I think over time, what we've done is we've synonymized who we were with what we do. We haven't really drawn a bifurcation between those things and which has kind of created a limited scope, I think, of the totality of who we are. Yes, some of us are mothers. Yes, some of us are sisters. Yes, some of us are, you know, professionals with titles, but all of those things together still doesn't encapsulate, I think, the totality or the essence of, of who we really are and all we're really capable of. I think then you also have the influence of, you know, social media and wanting to be seen and known um, and even wanting to relate to others. And so therefore, those titles uh, serve as a purpose to group people together, right? Like, I remember when I first started, like, getting on Facebook, you know, you look for Facebook groups that you belong to. And so you need a title. You need something to search for. Yeah. Middle-aged mom. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, back then I wasn't so middle-aged. Right. (laughs) Me either. But who am I without a title, without a label? I'm a dynamic spirit. Sometimes it's really hard to, to, like, remember that. But at my best, that's who I am. Yeah, I think that I am love. It's what I most prize. It's what mostly fills me, keeps me going. And I think, I honestly think it's what defines me. I think that's why I love people so much. It's why I do what I do in my career and even in my private life. And it's how I relate to God, because for me, God is love. I, I think that 
for me, especially in the last couple of years, um, I've been kind of on a journey to move more into that place of discovery of wanting to know more of who I am. And at some point, I think I realized that the identifiers or the titles or the labels that I placed upon myself were actually somehow preventing me um, from doing that. So I, I started to run some experiments to find out uh, little things, who I was without a title or a label. And I realized that I had created categories of titles and labels that could be attributed to what I believed would be a good person. And based on the things that I had been taught when I grew up. And so then the question became, what if I didn't do those things anymore? Would I still be um, equally as valid? Would I still be equally as wonderful? Would I be, you know, what would I be if I wasn't doing or being the things that I was, that I was taught were appropriate titles or appropriate labels? And so one by one, I started to release attachments to my titles. But I agree with what you said, Wanda. Um, for the most part, the world looks for some sort of title or label so that they can identify in some way to see if they synchronize with it or if they can connect with it. They, we use titles and labels as a method of connection. But also what you said when you said, I am love, um, if all of us moved into that space where we understood that every one of us is that divine expression of love having a human experience then we would all understand that i don't need you to have a title to connect with you yeah so we're still using it as a tool of connection i think when the alternative would be just to be vulnerable and allow myself to connect with you without any outside identifiers yeah i think that's hard to do for most people. I was just going to say, I don't even think that most of us probably have ever thought about that. Like, thought about it like that. Yeah, I don't. I definitely don't think people think about this on a regular basis. <laughs> I mean, it's a tool. I mean, every. I mean, everything that we use here, we we learn to develop these tools, and and I, and I also think that vulnerability then has become a thing where it's looked at as something dangerous. Mm. and I'm safe. It's much more safe for me to look for a person's label or identifier or title so that I can use that. I have that as a reason to connect with you when in, when in fact I don't need a reason to connect with you because if you're, if you're love and I'm love, then that's enough. I think vulnerability is also considered a weakness to some degree. Um, I mean, at least culturally for me. I've seen it where vulnerability is not easily accepted um, and you know you're put in a place of uh, a fear really so no definitely vulnerability is not something that is um, easily how should I say it's just not a place you want to be because there's so much fear attached to it you know like if i'm vulnerable with you will you step on my vulnerability or will you embrace it and it's a 50 50 
you know, it's funny because I had a conversation with one of my children and she asked me, how do I have such good close friends? And I said, before I answered her question, I said, well, why, why are you asking me that? And she's like, cause you know, it just, it seems like it was easy for you. And I said to her, well, you know, I came from a place of vulnerability and trust. And she's like, well, how do you know when is the right time to be vulnerable and to trust? And I said, well, you don't, it, it's, it's a gamble. It's a 50, 50 chance. And she looked at me like, huh? I said, yeah, the, you know, either the person is going to accept my vulnerability or they're going to reject it. She goes, that's scary, mom. And I said, well, I understand that, but that's, that's the reality. And so seeing her reaction immediately, you know, you can understand that no, people don't walk around saying, oh, I feel like being vulnerable all the time because <laughs> you don't know what the others are going to do with it. Which is a good reason to really be secure within yourself because you have to know that regardless of how people react to you, you're going to be okay. Regardless of what they do, you're going to be able to pick yourself back up and get back out there and try to connect again. And that's really difficult sometimes. It's a difficult decision to make. Absolutely. I agree. Especially in this world, it feels like to me that people are changing and that most that there are many many of us are um, becoming much more especially in this western world much more isolated and um, maybe it's an age thing maybe as you get older maybe as I've gotten older it's gotten more difficult to make friends I'm not really sure what it is but I just feel like things have changed in the last few years and it's just not as easy to connect with others as it used to be not on a real level I mean the surface connection yeah. the first couple of dates meetings times together but really when you start wanting to talk about real issues I'm not somebody who wants to live on the fringe I don't like to talk about like the, the daily news I want to talk about the deep stuff like <laughs> let's talk about where what who God is and you know what you think about death and you know why let's talk about relational issues and when you start talking about that kind of stuff with people you you start to see who people really are and they're you know it's surprising sometimes mm -hmm. and it, it also almost makes you want to well almost makes me want to close up and not share myself because um, it hurts when you have started to establish a relationship with someone and then they show you that they were wearing a mask mm -hmm. the whole time yeah I'm not wearing my mask, but you're wearing yours. Right. And I don't know. And so I'm being transparent and clear and vulnerable with you and showing you all of my scars. Mm -hmm. And you're sitting just taking it all in. That's scary. It is. Mm -hmm. And it also creates almost like a PTSD effect when someone doesn't honor your space and your vulnerability right where you then become more and more scared of being vulnerable and staying vulnerable with others i've seen that in some of the people that are close to me where the older they get the more they shun people it becomes a lonely lonely place to be and also sad as human beings we thrive off 
off of one another. And when you don't have that many people around you, you start to lose, you know, social skills and tact and even filters. And so you, you become this kind of like awkward person to be around. And then you don't understand why you're so lonely. Um, I've seen it in my practice as well with many people, you know, like older generations. Um, they tell me things like, you know, I'm so lonely and I don't know how to make friends anymore. You know, but I, I think that comes from that fear of being vulnerable and staying vulnerable, regardless of that somebody hurt you previously for whatever reason, you know. It's interesting because I remember I was just talking about this. I remember when I was in my I want to say early 20s, I had a girlfriend who was in her 50s. And I remember us being out one night and she had separated from her husband. It was a difficult situation. She had some issues with family, not many friends. And I remember her saying, um, I really have to make a choice not to become cynical. Mm. And I remember when she said that, I thought, what is she talking about? <laughs> I mean, my 20 year something year old self, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know, <laughs> Yeah, what did I know? But at 51 now, I I understand what she was saying. And I have to reassert that thought almost weekly. Like, I have to make a choice here that I'm not going to close down because I know that that's not going to make my life better. I see how easy that could be. Mm -hmm. I think that's so true, though, Zenobia. Like, that part where you said, you know, she said, I have to make the choice. Um, mm. I've been asked as a therapist for God knows how many years and how many times with how many clients, how do you move out of depression? How do you move out of anxiety? How do you move out of some of these really difficult, um, you know, issues and challenges that we experience emotionally, mentally, psychologically? And I have to say that the one answer that has always been constant is that you have a choice. I'm pretty transparent. I, I've struggled with clinical depression all my life. Um, I think partly because, you know, I inherited it biologically. And then on top of that, my environment and my surroundings growing up weren't the best always. And so I remember getting to a point in my life where it was almost like I took a step back and I looked at my life and everybody in it with like a panora panoramic view. And I, I, I looked at the current state in which each one of my family members and my friends were in. And I analyzed and I said, you know, what do I want? And I remember seeing like a lot of my aunts and even my own biological mother, like they were always miserable or tired or sick or struggling with something. And at that point in time, I, I think I must have been like 13, 12 or 13 years old. And I said to myself, I choose different. This is not going to be me. And I remember saying that to some degree out loud in front of my sister. And she said to me, oh, you're so conceited. <laughs> and at the time it was like not a good thing, right? Cause I'm being conceited or whatever the case is. But something inside of me like was like, I don't care. I choose different and now looking in, you know in my past I did I chose different and my end result is completely different than that of my aunts and my mother and my siblings and all of the things that I had experienced at the time seeing them just not happy 
and I don't regret it, not once. I think there's something to be said about that choice Mm -hmm. and needing to make that choice multiple times. I think when people tell that story or a story like that, a lot of times they make it seem like it was just one grand moment that they made this decision and, you know, then, and their lives just suddenly change. And I, I heard that story, not that story, but a story like that o- over my lifetime. And I really think that what people tend to leave out is that it's about getting up daily and reasserting that choice. Yes, you are absolutely right. It was more than once in my lifetime that I had to remind myself that I had chose differently. Yes. Absolutely. I I definitely fell and, you know, landed on my face many, many times. And each time I got up, I chose different. And it, And Dr. Q, what a beautiful life you have. I do, don't I? Oh my god. My goodness. <laughs> what really? Can I say? Seriously, though, like what? Ha- look what you've created. Yeah. Because you made the choices you've made, because you reasserted. I think that what's significant about the things that you're both saying is that in the process of living life since childhood, that there were always labels and titles of some sort. And so to approach a choice point on a daily basis and then to choose differently which is a beautiful a beautiful phrase to choose differently on some level requires that person in that moment of being in a choice point to release whatever label was previously held as acceptable Mm -hmm. or the norm and so then if you look back and on the stories that you both just shared, there was a series, like I think that Zenobia's right, there wasn't one choice point. It's a series of daily choices and reinvention and transformation that that we and I think a lot of people right now are kind of going through where there's a there's a decision to purposefully approach a period of transformation. And that's why I love the title of this podcast, Who Am I Without This Title? Or Who Am I Without This Label? Hmm. And I think the only way to find out is is exactly what you guys were talking about, which is to make different choices. But And it sounds kind of easy on the surface. It really does. But until you start to challenge some of those old inherent labels, it, it can be a little bumpy. You know, even just to kind of go into that territory to find that out. And, you know, that that came through for me, I think it was a year ago, where, you know, I was raised in a family that um, was, you know, horizontally, vertically and horizontally, um, very committed to serving the community. Hmm. Um, And I just remember at an early age, my dad instilled that in me. He goes, whatever you do, serve the community. And um, so part of serving the community and being um, a good servant leader, um, and I love the courses that are given by Carnegie and all these other places on servant leadership. I love servant leadership also. Absolutely. Um, And so part of that that I was taught that part of that construct, that paradigm was to be a voter. Um, And, you know, it was explained to me, you know, from that perspective that, you know, people of color have given a lot um, to have the right to vote, that women of all colors have given a lot. 
right. um, to be able to vote and that to honor the integrity of their journeys, part of the standard then of me being a good person would be to vote regardless of how I felt. It was only important that I flip the switch, right? So I, it, I, I don't know why it just came to me last year. Like, who am I without that title? Who am I without that label? Am I still a good person if I choose differently? You know, and and so sometimes though, when you choose something different that nobody else is choosing, mm -hmm. it can create a bit of a ripple wave oh, that, yes. can be that can be oh, uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when, and so what I love about the stories that you guys told is that they sound inspiring and they sound wonderful, but within the the paradigm of those times when you had the ability to choose differently it wasn't always easy to choose differently right people call you names yes in the example that you gave you were called conceited which is not a complimentary nope term so you on your journey to you know find out who your authentic self was mm -hmm which I think is not a one-time thing. It's a constant process yeah. of transformation. You kind of opened yourself up to some opinions and comments of others, um, right? Which is not always pleasant to do. No, which not goes at back all. To the right, which goes back to the vulnerability, um, which also goes back to why I just love, I am love. Yeah, that reminds me when I was uh, a kid also, I remember one time my aunts, uh, we went to a movie, which was not something that we did regularly because we were pretty poor. And um, we were at the movie theater and there was like, you know, the uh, previews for whatever was coming up. And uh, in one of the movies, I can't even remember what it was, um, there was this uh, woman who came up and she goes, I'm fabulous in everything I wear. Right. And I repeated it and I said to, you know, I said it out. I was like, oh, yes, I'm I look fabulous in everything I wear. And my one aunt started laughing. And my other aunt was like, man, you're a stick. You look you're all weird, weirdly shaped and whatnot, you know. And then my sister, who was sitting next to me as well, was like, she's so conceited. She repeated the same thing. So all these labels I had slowly you know, taken in and I accepted them that I was conceited and I was skinny and I was oddly shaped and I was weird or whatever else. And so, um, I, I, that's why I remember so vividly when I was thir 12 or 13, making that decision of, you know, even though my family thinks I'm oddly weird shaped and skinny and this and that and conceited yet, I still am going to make a choice to choose differently even though I'm not being met with, oh yeah, you you totally are great and you totally can do this or you totally look great in everything you wear. It was like, okay, I'm not exactly being um, validated here, but I'm still going to validate myself. I found it mm -hmm. in myself to say, I'm going to choose differently even though everybody else disagrees with me. Mm -hmm. It's okay that you disagree with me. Um, and I don't think people like being in a position where the great majority doesn't agree with you. I think that is actually essentially one of the greatest uh, qualities of a leader that you know that the popular vote is not exactly the right decision to make. And so you go forward still going against what, you know, people are telling you is not good or is not right. But 
in your gut, you know what's right for whatever it is you're doing or trying to achieve in that moment. Same thing when I started my company. A lot of people were like, you don't know anything about businesses. What, what do you think you're going to do? You, you know, you're going to go bankrupt within a year. You're going to close down within like a year or two. And I kept going. Mm. So, yeah, I am. Mm -hmm. So in addition to I am love, I'm probably one of those go against the grain kind of people mm. and I'm not I'm fearless oh. I am I'm not afraid to look at challenge in the face and and question okay so why not mm -hmm. I'm totally for that man I am fearless <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I wish I were fearless. I feel like I'm not fearless, but I do it anyway. Oh, I feel like I have a lot of fear. But that is fearless. I, well, the, the, or the other word is called courageous. Yeah, maybe courageous. Okay. I think I like that. That feels better for me I like because that. I swear sometimes it's really scary to go up against the grain I feel like I've lived my life against the grain and honestly it is exhausting um but I feel like there's something in my spirit that keeps pushing me along and then I think because I believe that the universe just keeps showing up with opportunities for me to keep to redirect me so that I pray I have to really pray that I'm not going to become one of those cynical people because sometimes it's really difficult when life shows up and um, it feels like it would be easier just to bury your head under the, the covers you know and you have to look for a reason to keep pushing and I used to you know it's interesting we're having this conversation because you know my reason used to be my son. Mm. I love being his mom. Aww. I love being his mom. And it, you know, I understood today why they say that you don't put your reason in someone else's hands. Cause when they, when that time changes, now he's an adult, mm -hmm. where's my reason, mm. you know? And so it just feels like I have to find a new reason. Mm. And that's, been very difficult this empty nest syndrome is no joke Aww. I was a mom and a happy mom and a, and so grateful to be his mom and now it's like what's my label I'm not sure I'm struggling with that mm. and it's hard and it's it's I feel like I don't have direction anymore I think a and lot of people can relate to you Zenobia though because I'm sure you give your all like your world becomes your child or your children. Um, and again, I've been criticized for, for example, self-care. I am the queen of self-care and I don't apologize <laughs> because even though my children are my world, I'm still Wanda. Whether you want to call me Dr. Q or whatever it is, whatever label title you want to give me I am still me and I need to love me in order for me to be a good mom to be a good wife to be a good therapist or whatever else and I have had so many women say exactly that to me Zenobia 
I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. I don't even know what I want or who I am because I've always been a mom. Or I've always and been I've ex. always I've always done self-care. Like that's the other thing, you know. It's not that I was lacking in that area. It was it's just that something has shifted because my focus um or a large part of my focus is different now. But has your self-care always revolved around you being with someone else doing something with someone else or just you just me i love to shop i love to get my nails i'm a girly girl so i love to get my nails done my hair done i like to go for massages you know like i like perfume i like to go to the store and just look around i like to explore my world no i love to read i i'm, I'm someone who does have an active personal life mm. My focus is, is I don't, I don't have a focus anymore because my reason was being his mom. Okay. Well, first of all, now I know why I love you so much. Cause we're just so much alike. We are so <laughs> Everything you mentioned and then some is who I am. But I can say that, yes, my focus has always been my children to some degree, right? Cause they obviously take a large part of my priorities. Um, but in my self-care, I've always learned to focus on me during that time in terms of not just I'm getting my nails done because I want them to look pretty and I'm a girly girl, but I get my nails done because this is the time that I'm spending thinking about me. It's like my hug to me. And when I go get my hair done, you know, I'm yapping away, gossiping with my uh, hairstylist about me or my life or something about my life, but because I'm enjoying Wanda in that moment I think I've always done it for you yeah not for me you know what I mean like I did it because I wanted to make sure that I look good but I want to look good because I want to make sure you know I look good no no I did it because I know that I look good for me right it's the same way like when I go shopping and I buy an outfit it's I look good for me Wanda feels good in this fabric. Wanda looks good in this fabric. And this fabric makes me happy, gives me joy. And when I walk past the mirror, I don't care if Natalie didn't like what color shirt I chose. I like the color that, that I chose because it made me feel good. And I honestly think that because of that, when I do pass by Natalie, she's like, oh, wow, she looks good in that color, even though I wouldn't have chosen it for her. Does that make sense? So I still have that space every day that I go do self-care for me because it makes me feel good. I'm not thinking about how my husband's going to feel about the color of that shirt or how my kids feel about the fact that I went to get a massage and, or pick this color nail, uh, this nail color. I'm thinking about, oh, Wanda loves blue and she got some blue shiny nails today and they look good. Go ahead, girl. You did good today. <laughs> I really like that. I really like, we call that, I, I work with my clients on that a lot, my locus of control. It's so interesting. See, that is what I want to say about this label, this idea of labels, right? They're so insidious. I would have said, well, I do these things for self-care, but like this idea that I don't do the self-care for me, I do the self-care for you, right? And, and so like, really thinking about like bringing my attention back into myself and building myself up because that's who I I am or, or that feels good to me or that's who I want to be with no real thought about 
doing it for someone else or or even caring about what someone else thinks hadn't really thought about that but i think that's grilled into you and i don't know michelle if you agree to some degree like it is grilled into you that you should look good for your man and you nice. should uh, do things for others and and i'm not against um doing things for other people's benefit i'm not also against humility uh in fact i feel that as a leader i should always be last and you are as strong as your weakest link i do believe that wholeheartedly but i also feel like i can't give you something i don't have so if i don't love me i can't love you fully if i can't serve me I can't serve you fully. Mm. And that is the mentality that allows me to understand that I have to take care of me, right? You know, when you go in a plane, they say to you, put your mask on first. Because if you're not breathing, who are you helping? That's right. Exactly. So with that same mentality, you know, I think to myself, okay, if I'm 100%, I can give Michelle all of me. I can give Zenobia all of me. I can give Natalie all of me. I can give all of my best friends and my family and my children all of me because I am whole. I'm I'm complete in my mental health and my emotional health and my physical health, etc., etc. So my self-care is mine for me because then I am complete in what I need and I can give you so much more. Well, I think that in that way, self-care is synonymous with self-love. Mm -hmm. um, and so I liked the analogy that you gave that if I don't love myself, I, you know, it's going to be hard for me to extend that love for you, which is true because everything is energy. And mm. to take it one step further, that anyone who is any of the healing art professions is only able to help other people to the level to which they have healed themselves. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, and in touching upon the subject that was being talked about earlier with the label or title of mother, um, last year, early last year, I had to, you know, had to go through some changes in my family where all of my children were transitioning into their professions and they all went off on their own and you know starting to branch out in their lives and and yeah face that moment where it was like wow i've spent the entirety of my of my life my adult life you know um doing uh, having everything centered upon these children and then once the children were up and and doing what they were supposed to be doing which is experiencing their own life and their own transformations i had to confront the ickiness of why my happiness level went down and I had to look at that you know and one of the things that I had to get comfortable with I think since that time is becoming comfortable with uncomfortable examinations of myself um, because it's uncomfortable to realize that my emotions are swinging because I had some sort of an emotional attachment to an idea of who I was. And I had to literally walk myself backwards and remember, I, 
I actually was somebody before I became a mother. I was a complete individual before I became a wife. I, I was a complete individual before I started going to school. So then it became the journey back mm -hmm. to the original self of who I was before the world and before life circumstances began to train me into telling me who I was because mm. that person is still within each of us. And that's when I realized, well, if my happiness was attached to the idea of being an involved mother and I am not as involved as I was before, then who am I? which led me to look at my other attachments that I had, the other labels, the identifiers of the self, because then I realized it wasn't just that attachment. Mm. And attachments to ideas based on the kind of attachment that you have is the root of suffering, mm. right? It's, it's the root of why your emotions begin to swing, you know, up and down. And without the ability to lean into the uncomfortable places of looking at those areas of the self i think it's it's going to be difficult for most people um and it is difficult and i agree with you wanda when you said that earlier today for people to be able to lean into that discomfort you know really kind of look at what choice point is being created and then face your own shit. yeah you know and then say you know what I did not realize that I just spent 20 years of my life becoming attached to the the, the label of being a mother. Mm -hmm. I forgot for 20 years that I actually was somebody before I became a mother. And now I'm gonna have to spend months figuring out who that was again. But then the whole journey of life is to be able to examine those labels, those titles, those identifiers and say, is that really me? Because that mm -hmm. wasn't me at five. That wasn't me at eight. So actually that has nothing to do with me, but it's uncomfortable. We have to sit in our shit for a minute and let, and allow ourselves to have those feelings of my kids are gone. I'm not happy unless I'm interacting with them and having a say over what are they, what they're doing. They're not asking for my opinion anymore. What does that mean? Did I need that? Was that a part of some sort of level of validation? Were they serving me? Because mm -hmm. that's not what I want them to do. I want them to serve themselves. And then I had to look at my own mothering style for the last 20 years. And I, I think I confessed this to Zenobia and Wanda one time. <laughs> I, I will fully say it right now. I was a helicopter mom. I mean, I uh, notoriously, by the time my second child got to high school, they, they heard her last name and they were, they understood immediately that the, the gloves need special care needs to be taken you know although i did not give birth to jesus it was a very thing to me it was almost like i birthed jesus three times right and i needed the world to understand that right so when i tell you that i used to be a helicopter mom i'm I'm kind of trying to gloss over the level to which I was a helicopter mom because <laughs> I am not that person anymore. <laughs> but I resonated, Zenobia, with what you were saying because I actually had to confront my own crap last year when I realized I did my job. When they need me, they will call. Yeah. And now I have to redefine my life. But 
that's when it hit me that it's not just the title of being a mother. It's every other title that I ascribed to my egoic identity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so then I spent that time one by one challenging those aspects of my identity to see, do I feel different? Am I different? Actually, I'm not different. That was never a part of me. So that again, that's why I love that we're talking about this, how it's affected all of us. I know Zenobia that you're right. When people hear this podcast, everyone's gonna be able to relate on some level with something that that each of us is saying but it's interesting how we're able to kind of approach it and we're all kind of going through similar things mm -hmm. you know um and i think that what's really sacred is that we can come together and say yeah i i know the shit that you're in right now it it, it, it sucks and it, it really it's it's not cool and it feels really stinky and i don't like it either and i'm with you you know, you're not alone and I support you in that and take your time, you know? And I think that the most important thing we can do as women when we find ourselves in those moments is allow ourselves to feel it. People run from their emotions yes. when they become uncomfortable. Yes. And you can't process something that you won't allow yourself to feel. And you'd you be know? so surprised how many people would rather continue to fucking suffer than to just yes. sit in their damn emotions. It drives me insane. Sometimes as a therapist, I just want to say, could you just fucking stop for five seconds? But I can't, right? So I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I take it back a notch and I just say, okay, let me bring you back gently to that uncomfortable space you keep running from. And then I'll have, you know, people say to me, the fuck is wrong with you? I don't want to talk about this anymore. Can you just stop? And I'll be like, no, because that's what you paid me for. But what I can say is that I think I'm just a weird outlier because <laughs> I I'm okay sitting in discomfort and analyzing what I'm feeling and really identifying. Okay, so I feel like shit. Why do I feel like shit? I feel like shit because this happened. And why did this happen? Well, it happened because this, that, and the third. And, you know, then processing my emotions so that I can then get up and move on. I don't know. I, I guess I learned it somehow along the way. I, it wasn't easy. It didn't happen overnight, that's for sure. But I've always been comfortable in the uncomfortable. To some extent, like Zenobia, when I meet somebody, I don't want to fucking talk about the weather. I want to know what you do think about death and what do you believe is God and what is important to you and, and how do you feel on a regular basis about really difficult topics that nobody really wants to talk about. And then on top of that, I love the shopping and doing my nails and getting my hair done and going for massages because I am a girly girl. But I do think that it's always come down to choice for me. I have to give credit to all of my previous clients. I've learned from their lives that some things are just not healthy. I've learned to, to find balance in areas that most often people won't find balance in because I can see the end result of them getting lost in the sauce <laughs> because it's easy. It's easy to get lost in my children or it's easy to get lost in my husband. I'm gonna deal with all the other stuff that's really still lingering and possibly will make me sad and unhappy and or angry and frustrated. No, no, we're not doing that. Not me. I'm going to continue to be the weird chick that I know I am. And I'm going to sit in the discomfort and I'm going to look at it in the face and I'm going to say, what the fuck is wrong with you? And how do I balance your ass out? 
And I'm okay at the end of that. I'm going to be okay at the end of that. Ultimately, that's... That's a truth that I think not everybody shares. That understanding that it's okay mm -hmm. to feel that discomfort or that sadness or the loss or to feel anything and then understand that on the other side of that that they were always going to be okay yeah i don't think that people know how to do that i think that i don't think that we're taught that mm -hmm. i think that our society promotes that you just push through you just keep going you keep moving pull you know? yourself so up from the boots that's, that's how i lived even if you don't have any boots right, right. <laughs> and so <laughs> i um, love that Zenobia. yes I love that too, because it's the the sentiment mm -hmm. that most of us yes. are groomed under, and it's not my first um, go to to sit in my feelings. Although I'm someone who can introspect with the best of them, yes. but I yes, you don't can. want to sit in my feelings. I don't want to have to feel because that shit sucks. It does, and so I have to like remind myself over and over I think that's like I think other than that idea of the choice which I love Wanda it's um reminding myself that you know oh this is how I can do it I don't have to do what I've always done that's what I like about like living without labels or considering mm. living without labels because I don't before that I didn't even know that there was a choice like, I didn't know that there was a choice to do something other than what I saw everybody else doing, other than what I automatically do, because this is my reaction. I had to slow down enough to even say to myself, am I doing this because I want to do this? Or am I doing this because this is just what I've always done? Right. And so, you know, sitting with my feelings is absolutely not what I want to be doing on a perfect day <laughs> but I know that that's what gets to healing yes. and I'm telling you I'm just in one of these places in my life where I don't think I've ever been hmm. I don't oh, no that's not true I think like in my early 20s I was in a like a low moment um in my life low mid 20s and I would say that was before I had Zane my son and um I feel like I'm back there again because I don't know, Michelle, if I knew that I was somebody before then. You know, I have a whole history of addiction and, and um, you know, trauma. And so I don't know that I connected with being something before I had him. I got sober. I had my child. And that was who I was going to be and my life was going to be for that purpose. I didn't even think about anything outside of that because... I hadn't had a reason to. So now I'm back to that point again. Because that's how beautiful life is. You know, it's cyclical. So it brings you back right. Full circle. to the, the, that choice point. Mm -hmm. And so now it's like, okay, now who are you going to choose? And then here's Wanda. The gift is you choose yourself. Yes, you know? absolutely. And you make it, you make it like a a choice that you make on a regular basis you go back inside and you say i'm doing this for me right i'm building me up i'm you know and i'm loved yes I'm very loved. much you are zenobia sometimes i have to be remind myself of that but you know like i forget i do have to add the piece that um you know in my acknowledgement that i am wonderfully weird 
and love to sit in my emotions. I, I am. I wonderfully. am wonderfully, amazingly weird because I am an outlier. I don't think the way other people think. I know this about myself and I love it when people say, you're conceited. Yes, I am because I love me and that's okay. Um, you know, I watched the documentary of Little Richard. You know, he was the father, creator and architect of rock and roll. Um, and you know, people don't really acknowledge that as much as that title. Yeah. But I got to tell you, he struggled incredibly with giving himself the gift he gave everybody else, which was standing in your truth and being okay with who you were. And I am not apologetic about it. And you guys don't make me feel like I'm this discombobulated thing. <laughs> and so once I get through my discomfort that I'm sitting in, as I'm holding on to all of you, I can then stand up like the Phoenix does, right? Yeah. And I can evolve into the next choice I'm going to make. Yes, 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 yes. yes. And I'm okay with it. Yeah. And I can breathe new again and I can go on with this new choice and this new, yes. uh, you know, skin that I have, you know, yes. evolved into. And Let's, yes. let's see what the next phase of life has for me. And I think that's the missing piece for a lot of people that they yes. don't have that, you know, Zenobia and they don't have the Katina and they don't have the Kim and the Leanne to hold hands with yes. and say, I need to be in my shit right now. And you are yes. comfortable sitting with me in my shit. Yeah. And that's why vulnerability, which you talked about initially, is so important. Mm -hmm. That's why we cannot allow ourselves not to avail ourselves of vulnerability, because if you were unable, un unwilling to be you, mm -hmm. I couldn't know who you are to support you through it. Yeah. And I think one thing that stuck with me from the moment I met Michelle was she's like words don't teach experience does and let me tell you girl that is like biblical for me when you live something it really becomes something that you just it's like ingrained in you because it's a part of you at that point and i have like the, to me that was so like almost biblical because it's the truth it couldn't be farther from this i'm like this she definitely has a point here i can't refute that because I was going to test you based on my experience, not on what you were saying, even though I was like, she's crazy. She's got like this hippie quack vibe and she's saying stuff that's not true because she literally said to me, I, you know, she's like, put it to the test. Everybody that you come into contact only wants to be kind to you. And I was like, what are you nuts? Do you live on the same planet that I live on? There are mean people everywhere, woman. And she was like, no. And I gave her the finger and I was like, how can you sit here and tell me that everybody I come into contact wants only to be kind to me? And she was like, put it to the test. I said, you know what? I will. And I was ready to come back and get her and be like, you liar. And then I put this crap to the test and this woman was right. I was like, how can she tell me? And I was like, all right, I got to shut up because she was right. Everybody I came into contact was only kind to me. And that was that. So, and I think that came down to a choice, right? I made a choice to 
accept that as my reality. And that's exactly what happened. It became my reality. So, girl, <laughs> preach. <laughs> I have some unusual tools in my toolbox. I will admit that. I will admit that. <laughs> I, do. I, do. I do understand that. Um, and that's why I always like to share with people, I, I don't expect to be believed. What I do know that is irrefutable is that when you feel something shift in your body, there is nothing that I can ever say. There is no book that I can produce. There is no research paper that will ever substantiate anything more than you or any human being feeling that shift of change happen in their own body. Mm-hmm. And so for, for me, um, I feel like the most empowering thing is to encourage people to not believe me because mm-hmm. they expect, as we talked about earlier, that the titles, you know, they carry weight and, you know, different identifiers and labels, you know, and what I, what I want people to do more of is to lean more into their own inner truth. And they can't do that if they're relying upon mine, which mm-hmm. is why I like to encourage people to experiment uh, with some of my unusual tools and feel it in their own body. Because that experience, that there are no words that I can offer you that will replace your own experience with yourself. And for, for me, if I was able to help somebody empower themselves by showing them how they can, they can lean more into their own inner truth, into their own authenticity, then I have done my job and I deserve a chocolate ice cream cone and I can go home. <laughs> you know? Is that all it takes? A chocolate ice cream cone? <laughs> nah, girl, I need a spa day. Forget that chocolate cone. No, no chocolate. I need a spa day. That's how you make it up to me. No, no. Yeah, chocolate. I'm good. Yeah. But I love that. I do. I do. I I love the fact that, yes, experience teaches you. It convinces you. It shows you. um, And it is irrefutable. This is why I know what I know about God, because I have experienced it. You know, nobody told me about it. I didn't. Like I said before, I didn't have to go and uh, borrow it from anybody it's it's what i experienced inside you know Mm -hmm. that's my truth my connection to god is my truth Mm -hmm. and so i guess maybe that's also possibly why it's easy for me to search out zenobia or michelle or any of my other friends when i need to sit in my discomfort Mm -hmm. for sure thank you for spending this time with all of us here at radical awakening It's been wonderful, ladies. Until we meet again. Be well, everybody.